When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Ben, today we've got a topic that uh, comes from a listener. And um, he wanted to, uh, well, let's just read the email and uh, maybe that'll be the best way to lead into this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, in that? his words. In his words. Now, this comes from Curtis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Curtis says, uh, first let me say that I'm a big fan of your podcast. I'm a sales rep in Texas and drive about 4,000 miles per month. Uh, so podcasts have become a great way of passing the miles. I have a couple of stories I thought you might enjoy. I'm wondering if you've ever seen this Allegheny steel car and the story behind it. And he sent along a couple of photos. So mm-hmm. um, Curtis said, uh, several years ago I received an email with pictures that are attached that I attached to this email. Uh, I copied the email into Word documents that said I'd remember the story. And the story is that, um, well, it's a picture of a 1936 Ford Coupe. Right. Uh, that was built and owned, built for and owned by the Allegheny Ludlam Steel Company. Um, this note says that this is one of only four in existence and is the only one currently in running and roadworthy condition. The car is in exceptional condition with the interior and even the frame looking great. All four cars had over 200,000 miles on them before they were removed from service. Uh, they were built for Allegheny's promotional marketing projects. Uh, the top salesmen each year were given the honor of being able to drive them for one year. Um, it's a V8 engine. Runs really, you know, runs really smooth, mm-hmm. really quiet, etc. Mm-hmm. So, so Curtis says, I just wonder if you had seen anything about these, all these stainless steel cars, and uh, and you know, kind of maybe what's a little bit more of a backstory on these things, right? Oh, buddy, Curtis, thank you for writing. We were excited to receive this email, and it got us thinking about stainless steel cars in general, especially. Allegheny Ludlum stainless steel cars because there's a story there, right, Scott? Yeah, that's right. There's this whole chronology of vehicles that that um, arises from I don't know if that's the best way to say it or not, but from um, Allegheny and from the steel company rather mm-hmm. and uh, and Ford Motor Company, um, and and it goes way way back farther than you might think because a lot of a lot of people maybe the first time they've ever heard of a stainless steel car was the DeLorean. Right. And the DeLorean still to this day remains the only mass-produced stainless steel car. Uh, there were a total of over 9,000. I just want to say that. It's over 9,000! What? 9,000? That's an internet joke. Somebody is going to get that. Somebody's They're, laughing. They might be groaning, Scott, but they, they get what I'm putting down there. Okay. Um, but the number is closer to 9,200 DeLoreans uh, mm-hmm. over three model years, two calendar years. And you can you can look into our past catalog to learn everything about the DeLorean company and John DeLorean himself because we cover it in not one but two podcasts, I think. I, I think so, and we've mentioned it many, many times. Um, you know, the whole thing about the dyes being sunk off the coast of Ireland and, or yeah. wherever they were. Oh, uh, yeah, the ocean uh, somewhere. To the, that's the uh, 
rumor that they were used as anchors. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, you know, just the unusual fact that it's uh, it's an Irish sports car, right? Right. Which and, is kind of strange, mm-hmm. and and of course you know the the unusual characteristics of it, and and the uh, and the unusual founder of the company, of course, ah, John, yes. John DeLorean, and all of his eccentricities. And um, I don't know, it's just an, an interesting car. I mean, of course, it has that brushed stainless steel body uh-huh. that uh, that everybody loves to you know point out that you know that's so unique, that's so different. But mm-hmm. if you go way way back, I mean, there's a car that that goes back exactly 50 years prior to the DeLorean mm-hmm. uh, that begins all this. Ah, yes. Now, for someone who is astute, if you've just done the math and you already know a little bit about these steel cars, then you might be saying, wait, Scott got the numbers wrong, but he didn't. I mean, I'm sorry, you didn't. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. It's, it goes back truly 50 years because the, uh, the DeLorean uh, DMC-12 was produced from 81 to 82, 1981 mm-hmm. to 82. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to find out that the first Ford stainless steel car that was delivered to these steel companies was delivered in 1931. So, Curtis, usually when you're hearing the story of the stainless steel cars by Allegheny Ludlam, what you'll hear is that they started in 1936. However, that's not entirely true. That is the first year that Allegheny Ludlam and Ford worked together to make some stainless steel cars. But we need to start the story a little bit earlier. Like you said, Scott, 1931. Yeah, 1931. But then it goes back a lot farther than that because the, this company, I, I think we got to mention this this point that, uh, you know, we don't want to confuse anybody with the way we, we you're using names here because oh, right. um, um, this Allegheny Steel Company uh, went through a lot of different name changes throughout the years. Now, I've got about 112 years of, of changes here. Mm-hmm. It's only five name changes, and I'll, I'll quickly go through them. But this will give you an idea of, of who this company is, mm-hmm. who they were, who they are now, and who they've been throughout the time. Throughout time. So let's go back to 1901. Okay. Uh, they were the Allegheny Steel and Iron Company. Uh, they were headquartered in western Pennsylvania, and that's where this whole thing was incorporated and began. Mm-hmm. So 1901. Uh, by the 1920s, they were known as the Allegheny Steel Company. So just, you know, small changes here and there, right? Yeah. Um, now, this is kind of where their work with stainless steel began, even though stainless steel was kind of discovered, I guess, in the early 1900s, like maybe right around the turn of the century. Oh, uh, I've got a little bit on that. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're right. Right around the turn of the century, Elwood Haynes developed and patented the corrosion-resistant stainless steel. Uh, so that's around um, – you're going to get different r- reports there, but it is turn of the century, 1915. All right, fair enough. All right, so by the 1920s, that's when they're starting to really start to work with this n- kind of uh, new material, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll find that if you read the history of the company, if you go on their site, um, all through you know throughout their history, they've been developing different formulas for this. So yes. you know they have different numbers, different codes for the different uh, strengths and different uses for the mm-hmm. steel. Um, we're not going to get too wrapped in, up in that, I promise, in this podcast. But, um, you know, they started getting patent awards and things like that around the 1920s. By 1927, Ben, this is the same company that was using uh, their steel, their stainless steel, yeah. was used to uh, to build the Chrysler building in, in uh, downtown New York. Yes, and they also... Uh they also were instrumental in some rail interests mm-hmm. in other architectural marvels of the time. I mean, these guys are big time. Yeah, the trim for Ford Model A cars at the time in 1929. Which is um, important. Let's very, remember that. Yeah, very important. So they're supplying stainless steel trim for the Ford Model A cars in 1929. Um, that becomes really important because this this partnership with Ford is something that um, in the 1930s, when they finally became, or actually not finally, but when they became known Allegheny Ludlam Steel Corporation by combining... With Alle- uh, Ludlam. Yeah, the Ludlam Steel Company, the Allegheny Steel Company and the Ludlam Steel Company. Um, you find that, uh, you know, that, that partnership worked out for them. Um, just as a side note, um, yeah. As we go through time here, and we're going to go back to the 1930s in just a minute. Um, in the 1960s, there was a company called Teledyne Incorporated, which was founded. Um, it was a Fortune 500 company. Um, that's important because in, in the 1990s, that's when they uh, they kind of link up. Um, but I want to also mention this. In the 1970s, uh, this Allegheny Ludlam Steel Corporation, they built parts for the, uh, for the Concorde, Ben. Um, really? Yeah, the uh, titanium... Uh, t- titanium hydraulic systems in the Concorde were built by Allegheny Ludlam Steel Corporation. Um, and then again, I mentioned Teledyne. In mm-hmm. 1996, Allegheny Teledyne Incorporated was formed. 
uh, of course, when the two of them merged. And now, since 1999, they're called Allegheny Technologies Incorporated. And this is all important because I'm just going to call them ATI, and that's what they go by. Yep, they go by ATI, and today they are still one of the – they've grown, actually, to become one of the largest companies in their industry in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they manufacture not just stainless steel, not just different types of stainless steel – but a wide range of various products for I think on uh, I think it says both consumer and capitalist markets. So this means that they just don't they don't just uh, produce steel for cars right now uh, or for just buildings, but they would also produce the tool steel needed to make uh, parts for factories. Exactly. Okay. So they've they've got this long, long history of just lots of innovations and patents and mm-hmm. and really surprising things. I mean, we're we're saying this because we want to get you guys to get an idea that this company is really a standout company in the steel industry and that, you know, going way back they've got a lot of um a lot of I guess points in their history where where you know they've been developed uh They've worked on iconic buildings, mm-hmm. um, iconic vehicles, um, iconic systems for th- things like the Concorde. And, I mean, even today, there's still there's an, a growing list of things like this, okay? Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of a huge deal, I think. Let's go back to the 30s, okay. right? Yeah, let's get, okay. our, let's get on with our story so we, of the uh, steel car. We just wanted you to know uh, what a big company ATI is and uh, how it's evolved over time. So... Henry Ford is what's the most diplomatic way to say this, Scott? Uh, He's wacko. <laughs> Henry Ford is a wacko American. Okay, all right. there you go. Uh, he he is at the very least a gentleman with very definite opinions about what he does and does not like. Yeah, hard to please. Sure, notoriously so. However, he loves this stainless steel, doesn't he? Yeah, the guy, you know, I tell you, the guy was a genius. Yeah. I mean, he really was. I mean, all the ribbing and stuff that we do about him here, and we've talked about him extensively um, on this show and other shows. Right, right. Um, I I mean, really, he he was on the ball with a lot of this stuff, right? Sure. And to use stainless steel in his vehicles early on like this. Now, I mean, even today... You know, it's a it's a big deal if you get a stainless steel exhaust on a car. You get right. a stainless you get stainless steel wheels or whatever. It's still that's still a great product to use. I mean, and even back then in the early days of stainless steel, uh, Henry recognized that you know this is something that uh, you know could give his vehicles a little more longevity than than some of his competitors. And uh, for just a few dollars more, in some cases for trim and mm-hmm. you know pieces like radiator cowlings and things like sure. that, it's totally worth it for him to have those things not be rusted out. And that's uh. That that even I mean that's a few extra dollars here and there gives his company even a better image. Yeah, it gives them a uh, stainless steel reputation too. Now at the time, this Allegheny metal was being sold as rustless steel, and Ford liked this so much and always uh, always a guy on the ball about marketing opportunities as well. Uh, it occurred to the Ford company to make um, I believe it was three two-door sedans in 1931, mm-hmm. and the these were made entirely by Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. Um, Allegheny was not involved with this other than being the supplier of the steel. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how aware they were of Ford's plans at this point. But um, these two-door sedans, Scott, were made entirely out of stainless steel, right? Now, Allegheny did have a little something to do with it later on in that they used it in an ad. Yes. So, okay, so these these are these three Ford two-door sedans that are built in 1931. Uh, and Ford sends, uh, Ford sends one to Allegheny. Yeah, they do. They, they, uh, they're built with fenders and hood and splash aprons and body and wheels made of, all made of stainless, right? Mm-hmm. So these are, these are, I mean, just like, you know, the DeLorean body. It's an all metal, unpainted body. Yes. Um, Okay, they're not offered to the public, first of all. Uh, two of them went to steel corporations. One was kept by Ford Motor Company. Mm-hmm. Um, Time ma- There's a Time Magazine ad in, um, you know what, before I go too much farther, I want to say this. I'm going to get back to the Time ad. Uh, there was an article by Walter Gosden that I'm getting most of this information from, and he mm-hmm. wrote an article in, this is way back in 1980, um, it was in special interest autos. And I'm getting a lot of this information from there because this is a great history of these these vehicles throughout, I mean, Throughout time, we'll find out. Yeah. Um, I've updated it with a little bit of info, so here and there, I'll, I'll tell you when I've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, back to the Time Magazine ad. Uh, November 8th, 1931. So this is in the same year. Um, Allegheny Metal 
um, which I'm, I'm not sure what they were called, Allegheny Ludlam Steel Corp. I think at that time, um, they had printed this ad with a photo of this thing, you know, this, this steel stainless steel car, mm-hmm. and it says, "Well, next year's cars look like this." <laughs> um, right. Now they they used it in their main office in their mill in uh, Breckenridge, Pennsylvania, and uh, it was displayed at the front entrance uh, all the way up until the early 1940s. So mm-hmm. it was on display at the Allegheny Steel Company or whatever they're called then. Uh, let's uh, say ATI. Yeah, let's say let's say ATI. Uh, do you want to go to the next phase of well, stainless steel? Not quite yet, not yet? because okay. because we have to find out what happened to those three cars. And I can and later I'm going to do at the very end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a wrap up of I'm going to kind of do kind of a where are they now? Cool. Because uh, cool. Th- this is a this is a neat thing to look at here, and this is where you can go see them now. Yeah, and it'll be like the uh, wow. picture, the 80s movies endings where it freezes on different characters. <laughs> yeah. It's like so and so went on to. How about We'll say some of them because some of them have mysteriously disappeared. So there's a little uh, little nugget that you might want to hang oh, on for too. Because, spoiler alert! Yeah, Scott. maybe, but there are really there's some interesting stories here. All right, oh, so but we'll get to it. So by mid, okay, I mentioned that it was on display in the front entrance of the sure. company until mid 40s, right? Okay. All right, so that's right around World War II, right? And mm-hmm. um, the steel companies, well, the PR department decided that it would be best if they used these cars for part of the scrap metal campaign. Which sounds like a cry and shame these days, but we do have to remember that at this time, um, that was not only a show of patriotism, perhaps, but it was also, um, it was also an indicator of the priorities at the time. Exactly. Yes, they they did what they felt was best. They melted it down um, in their own company's furnaces, you know, as part of the war effort, and and uh, used the metal for the war effort. Um, the other car went to a place called the Universal Steel Company, uh, which I think in 1980 was called Cyclops Corp. And mm-hmm. they used the stainless steel car for ad campaigns, you know, conventions, PR, that type of thing. Um, I think they said over five years it had something like 250,000 miles on the car. Because uh, it was yeah. driven driven all over the places as part of the, you know, um, well, publicity. Right? PR tours. Yeah, exactly. And um, the car was in Chicago, as far as anybody knows, for the last couple of years of its existence. Mm-hmm. It was sold to an employee, and then it just disappeared without a trace. Which makes this Scott and Ben's official barn find of the year, if you can find this one. If you find that 1931 stainless steel Ford Model A, yeah, that car is going to be worth a fortune. And the thing is, it's stainless steel, Ben. This is what this one has. This is why this one has a leg up on the competition, I guess. Yeah. In in disappeared cars, because the body may be great, everything else is going to be, you know. Rotted shot. out. It's going to yeah. be completely shot. Yeah. But um, as we'll find out, a lot of these that, that happened to. Yeah. Um, all right. So anyways, we're on to the next one. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now Ford had one of these 1931 cars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, after a good number of years, they ended up cutting the car into pieces for a display, which sounds horrific again at the, at, you know, now looking back. Sure. But that's what they do at the time. You know, here's our, here's our test vehicle. This is uh, kind of something unique. We're going to, we're going to be on the auto show circuit. Let's cut this up and show the public what it's all about. Oh my gosh. Before we go any further, mm-hmm. I know I sounded ridiculous when I just said that, but before we go any further, Scott, we have to explain what differentiates stainless steel from regular steel. Oh, please it just do. hit me as we're talking about this barn find. This thing will survive. Um, stainless denotes a steel that has more than 10% chromium. Mm-hmm. That's, that's basically it. And so this, there, there are many grades of this before we get the email. Um, the, many, sorry. many, many grades of this. Yeah, there are many, many varieties uh, that will have different properties for different applications. However, when you hear people like Scott and I saying stainless steel, uh, we are describing something that has at least more than 10% chromium. And as a result of this, it is much, I, I don't want to say impossible, but I want to say much, much more difficult for it to rust in comparison to regular yeah, steel. Yeah, and when it comes to cleanup on something like this, I mean, really, it's just a, a scouring pad and some type of cleaner, a cleanser. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the way you handle paint, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite different. I mean, look up how you, you clean a, a DeLorean, for instance. Great. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of articles out there about that, about that specific thing. Like, how do mm-hmm. I clean this thing? It's probably a scotch Bright pad or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, something very, very abrasive you would think that would never touch a car. But, you know, sure. in this case, it's okay. Yeah, uh, you'll even hear. Now, this is the one I heard. I know I'm on a sidebar of a sidebar now. Mm-hmm. But I heard people saying just, you know, use alcohol or brake cleaner. Yeah, I know it sounds harsh, man, but that's what you do. And it it won't hurt it. Yeah. Um, it's again, you're not you're not dealing with a delicate paint surface. You're dealing with you know with multiple layers. You're just dealing with bare metal, really. This is a mm-hmm. this is a bare metal vehicle. Um, just happens to be stainless steel, which uh, you know could be any variety of finishes. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these cars that we're talking about, they have this really really bright finish. They're very polished, um, almost yes. a, not quite as polished as like the chrome cars that we're seeing now. Like you know mm-hmm. the the, the Hip hop stars are, are using, you know, driving around town. It's not like Justin Bieber's uh, Fisker Karma. And it lo- looks like a <laughs> looks like a mirror, you know. It's not like that. These are more of a brushed look, um, more of a subdued look. I guess. Yeah, a little bit opaque in comparison. Yeah, um, I guess. But they do in the photos. I mean, they're they're so clean and and fresh. They almost appear white. So fresh and so clean. That is true. <laughs> Very funny. All I'm right. sorry. We so do live in Atlanta. I, but let's go to 1930. Yeah, we're actually we're up to 1936, and this is the second series of cars. Now, remember, all three of the originals are, are gone, really. I mean, the one disappears. We don't know what happened to that right. one. Right, yeah. Um, 1936, um, the uh, Allegheny Steel Company ordered six cars to be built because uh, they had you know great success with the one that they mm-hmm. they had in uh, 1931. Um, so again, same vehicle, Ford, Ford two-door sedans. They love that car just like, uh, Bonnie and Clyde did, right? Oh, I think they upgraded to a deluxe for 1936. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 maybe. But again, these Ford V8s, right? Right. And, uh, so it's the two-door sedans. Um, now, the, I guess the problem with these things, now they ordered six. Right. Um, the tools and dies were set up at the time for, um, a, st- a different type of steel called carbon steel. Mm-hmm. And carbon steel, I guess, was a, a lot easier to press. I mean, it didn't take, uh, quite as much, effort to create body panels out of carbon steel. Um, 
so the uh, the molds and the uh, the dyes and everything that they used to to create these body parts, uh, they weren't strong enough for stainless steel uh, because it was a, a tougher, more brittle type of steel. And so it would completely, as as the article said, I think it would wipe out the uh, the dyes. Mm-hmm. So they had to do this towards the end of the production run for that year uh, because it would it would destroy the tooling that they used to to create these things in in, in making them. Yeah. So um, difficult, uh, difficult to build. But so now there's a couple little problems here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also welding problems, you know, that went along with this, and just other issues with, uh, you know, getting things to look quite right. You know, getting all the uh, the graining of it to match and all that stuff. Yeah, there were uh, some technical aspects of working with stainless steel mm-hmm. on this level that were befuddling, but not impossible to achieve. We know that they did managed to build them. Yeah, they built six cars and mm-hmm. they were all driven from this is this is where they went from Detroit where they were built. Mm-hmm. They were all driven to Pennsylvania and then from there, I guess district managers whoever from uh you know Allegheny mm-hmm. uh, drove them to branch offices. And the offices were in Chicago, New York, Cleveland, St. Louis, Philadelphia and then another one that went back to Detroit. Um you know just they wanted I guess symbolically to have their uh, their branch manager drive it, you know, back from Pennsylvania to Detroit again. And that makes sense. Um, now, this is the part where someone is saying, wow, that's a lot of driving, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and they're correct because uh, each of these six logged, I think, over 200,000 miles. Yeah, and that was the whole point of these things, really, was to get them out on the road because mm-hmm. – what what does a car like this show you, Ben? It shows you craftsmanship, right? It shows you the it shows you the product. It shows you because if you cover a car up with paint, you know who knows what's under there. Yeah. Um. It it shows you the the uh, I don't know how to best say this maybe, but just like the uh, the um the actual steel itself, the uh, the the, um, the craftsmanship that went into the vehicle, and sure. and our product is being used for this. It's it's all steel, and it's a live demonstration every time a customer sees the vehicle. Yeah. Because the uh, what I especially enjoy about this is that this is not just some proof of concept that's tucked up in in a showroom somewhere. Mm-hmm. This is actually on the road yeah. and driving, which makes a much bigger difference. Naked cars. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's a bunch of naked cars driving around, right? Now, the more they could drive them, the better off they were. So they took them to conventions. They used them in ads. They parked them outside of their dealer, mm-hmm. or not dealership, but their uh, their mills. Um, but it was just a uh, it was a great promotional tool. And of course, they were eye catchers because you know how many how many uh, stainless steel cars do you think you saw driving around in 1936? Right, and absolutely. We- well, six. Six. You, know, six. you saw yeah. well, unless you <laughs> saw that one. Because let's remember. Um, that's still the 30s, so up until the mid-40s, you could still go to Allegheny and see one of the original Model A stainless steels, you right? Know, you're absolutely right. There is some overlap there because they, they still had they still had the car on display mm-hmm. when they ordered the other the additional six. So maybe that was why they the original one, they didn't have that much trouble melting it down. They could say, like, well, we've got six others that are out there. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that overlap bit, but you're right. And, and uh, Henry still had one at that point for the Ford. Good point, Ben. Hey, good so... One one other good point that Allegheny and Ford made later, they said, uh, well, I don't know, Scott, where do you want to go with this? Do you want to talk about the fate of those six or do you want to move on to the next Let's, phase? Uh, let, let me just kind of go through these notes here because I, I took them from that article and it yeah. had such a great um, – it had such a great – chronological mm-hmm. order of, of the way this thing all happened. So, you know, the, again, we mentioned their use of promotional. The bodies, I guess, the car bodies stayed in fantastic shape right, throughout their use. Right, the non-stainless steel parts yeah. did not. Yeah, you got to remember that the underpinnings of these these vehicles were strictly Model A. Yeah. So um, it was regular steel. It was whatever, carbon steel or whatever they mm-hmm. happened to be using. Iron in a lot of cases for, you know, a lot of the suspension, et cetera. Right. And, uh, you know, think about the, the offices that I just mentioned. Those are all Midwest. Those are all, you know, in the uh, in the snow belt up there, the mm-hmm. rust belt. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, obviously there was salt and, you know, uh, snow and lots of moisture and everything. So, you know, the stainless steel bodies look great. Everything else underneath started to deteriorate, as you would expect, in just a normal, you know, a regular Model A sedan, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, this article is from 1980, but as of 1980, four of those original cars still exist. Um, yes. We can find out. We, you know what? Let's save all this for the end, I guess. But um, the Detroit car, the Chicago car, um, and then, well, you know what? Tell you what. I've got a, a list of, of where they are now, so maybe we should just hang on to this, okay? Okay. All right, so let's move on to, um, 
up in time, I guess, because it was 1960. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, there was a there was a delay here, uh, but Allegheny and Ford, re- or excuse me, ATI and Ford returned to this notion where they said, "Hey, remember that thing we did with stainless steel body cars?" Uh, let's try it. Let's try it again. Yeah, 1936. Now it's 1960. So how, right. how long is that? That's 24 years. Is mm-hmm, that right? Mm-hmm. So 24 years ago, we built a couple of cars. Let's try it again. What have you got for us? And Ford said, well, how about a couple of Thunderbirds? Right. What? And see, and this is an excellent idea. This is the part of the podcast where predictably Scott and I are going to stop you and say, if you have not yet, you should go online and check out some photos of these cars, yeah. especially the Thunderbirds. As simple as this search stainless steel thunderbirds and uh, you'll likely find the photos of these things now one thing that i want need to mention here before i, I just lose it out of my head because I, I didn't write it down <laughs> okay um the the thunderbirds in 1960 now they ordered two of them the thunderbirds were already using stainless steel for a lot of the trim a lot right. of the uh, the point. emblems you know the of course the uh, the bumpers things mm-hmm. like that so they, they had a good deal of stainless steel on them already now they were just making new bodies i guess for these things which was highly unusual and there's mm-hmm. a company called um the bud company and the bud company was building uh the standard ford thunderbird bodies back mm-hmm. then and the bud company is the one that took care of building the stainless steel bodies for um ATI as well yes uh, let's see. Now, in July 11th, 1960, that's when the first, that's when the two Thunderbirds roll off of the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got, they've got bodies of T302 stainless steel, but everything else, every other component, Scott, is standard. 
Okay. Which, as we said, is not too much of a stretch. Not too much of a stretch because they were already doing that. Now, the cost to build them in 1960, and I didn't do one of those uh, calculations here. Okay. I should have. I meant to. Uh, the cost in 1960 was about $25,000 each to build these things. Ooh. So that's an expensive car right there. Yes. Uh, very expensive for 1960. Um, but, again, same exact use. There were promotions, again, uh, you know, by ATI. And, uh, you know, just driven by, you know, well, as, as Curtis mentioned, I think, you know, top sales reps often got a chance to use these things. It was just used by officials in the company, conventions, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, again, just a show, uh, showcase. Um, then it wasn't too much longer, Ben. We go up to move up to 1966. And, um, again, once again, Allegheny Ludlam or ATI again, mm-hmm. uh, they ordered two more cars. Now in 1966, um, they wanted, this is this is an unusual car to order, I think. I mean, Isn't not it? that the others weren't already, but right. um, they ordered Lincoln Continental convertibles, which I think a lot of people are really gonna gonna like the looks of these. These are big, you know, slab side convertibles, uh, huge cars, just just I mean, land yachts. Yeah, land yachts, road whales, whatever you want to uh-huh. call them. They're huge. Um, now the thing is, Ford built, or actually Lincoln uh, built three of these because, mm-hmm. of course, they wanted they wanted to keep one. So um, Allegheny got two. And uh, the Lincoln Mercury division kept one. Now these cost in 1966. They cost thirty thousand dollars each to build, which again, yeah, an awful lot of money. Um, I mentioned that Lincoln Mercury kept one. Now the Allegheny cars were updated uh, to 1967 specs, so they look like 67 models in uh, in appearance package that they that they used on them. Right, and they've kept. Uh, I think it's it's a good point for us to make here that they have kept. Um, the practice sometimes of putting these out toward the end of the production run. Yeah, exactly. Because again, because of the uh, the the harshness of the of the stainless steel on the the tooling equipment, because mm-hmm. it's not set up for that. It's set up for like a mild steel, mm-hmm. um, which is what you know most cars are made of. I guess you know, right. if, if they're not composite now or whatever. Yeah. But uh, you know the steel cars of the day were mild steel and much easier to uh, to you know to stamp out. Now, um, so. They kept it, anyways, they kept the Allegheny Company, your ATI kept two of those cars, and they used them for the same purposes again, same, mm-hmm. same exact thing. Ford kept one, or Lincoln Mercury kept one. Um, much later, uh, the third car was also purchased from Lincoln Mercury by Allegheny. And, uh, I guess the car was damaged, I guess, during store, some, sometime when it was stored at the, uh, Lincoln Mercury office. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was in a warehouse or okay. what, but it was damaged in some way. Um, the ATI purchased the car from Lincoln Mercury or, you know, received it from. I don't know if they just gave it to him or not, but, um, and then that specific car, the one that they bought from Lincoln Mercury was moved to a place called the Crawford Museum in way back in 1978. And I think Mm -hmm. that's still there. So, man, I mean, here we are. We've got this, this, this long history that goes from what, 1931, 1936, mm-hmm. 1960, and then these 66 and 67. I guess if you want to count 67, because they, yeah. they updated the look. But um, man, a lot of these things are are still operable and still around. Right now, does that give us a grand total of 11 cars? <laughs> yeah, you've been keeping track here, right? Because um, let's see, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, nope, yep, it's more than that. That's um, what I thought. Six, eight, nine, uh, twelve cars. Is that right? Well, let's see. If we if we're mapping 11, this out, fourteen cars, Ben. Fourteen. Okay. Fourteen total that cars. That makes ben. more sense. Yeah. Uh, but of course, now we get to the part where we get to say uh, some of our favorite and least favorite things. Uh, one of our least favorite things to say is that some of these cars have been destroyed. We mentioned it earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. but as we do a quick breakdown, um, Scott, you had mentioned that of the. Of the original, the old school 1931 mm-hmm. Model A's, uh, we know that two were destroyed. Mm-hmm. And we know that one is missing, missing yeah. in action. It's out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like it's, it, it, I doubt that it's been cannibalized or, you know, that, that people have taken pieces off it so that, you know, it's, it's scattered. I right. think, I personally believe that this thing is parked somewhere. Somewhere. Now, now, it doesn't have to be in Chicago because it disappeared from the Chicago area. That has mm-hmm. nothing to, that has no impact on the story at all. It could be anywhere. I mean, obviously, it's a car. It can drive somewhere. Someone could buy it <laughs> in, anywhere in the world, really. Mm-hmm. Um, unlikely that it went somewhere else in the world because there might be a, a shipping manifesto or something that would, that would show 
up on. Uh, but, you know, I, I, this is one of those cars that I'd like to believe that someone will find in a barn someday. Just the body, maybe. Everything mm-hmm. else will be decayed all around right, it. Right, yeah. But, uh, but I'd like to see the 31 car come back. Me too, because those are visually striking. Now, then we go to 1936. We've got the six stainless steel vehicles there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got six that were built. And four, I think, are still uh, are around or extant. Yeah, let's see. I mean, let's, yeah, yeah, four of them are still around. That's right. Um, there's the Detroit car, mm-hmm. which is, um, now it's at, at a place called the Auto Aviation Museum in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. There was the Chicago car that's owned, that was owned by a physician, um, part of a private collection because once these cars were done with, you know, done with their service at the company, they were sold to, oftentimes to employees that then sold them to somebody else, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes these ended up in other people's hands. Now, um, there's a 2008 update on that one specifically um, in that, uh, let's see, where did that one end up? Uh, did oh, it go oh, to a museum? It, no, it did not go to a museum. It went to, um, I think that one ended up in a, uh, oh, you know what, this guy named Ed James, uh, who showed up at the swap meet. This is the craziest thing. He's in Dearborn, Michigan, so the home of, of Ford, really. Yeah. Um, he shows up... Um, in 2008, I believe it was. Now, this is an update from the Hemmings blog where I found the other article as well. Um, he's got it on a trailer. He had just purchased it like two weeks prior. But he's got one of the 1936 Ford two-door sedans. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only one I can figure that it would be would be the one that was owned by this physician. that um, was part of his private collection, which he passed away, left it to his son, and his son sold it as part of the estate auction. I see. And uh, this is where this Ed James guy picked it up. Now, it hadn't been restored or anything like that, so um, what Ed James did with that car after 2008, I have no idea, because the, the trail kind of dies off right there. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are, two, the, there are two other cars that were owned by the, or that are still owned by the Allegheny Ludlam Steel Company, or ATI, I keep yes. saying that. Um, so they have two of them that, that they house at their warehouse or wherever. Um, and then, of course, there are two cars that are missing, again, with no trace, the 1936 cars. They just disappeared. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, before we get to 1960, um, I do want to tell you about something else. All right. Lay it on me. All right. Well, you know, we've been uh, kind of doing these audio books, right? Ah, yes, yes. From uh, from Mm Audible.com. And I found one that I think is really, really cool. The title of it is Engines of Change, A History of the American Dream in 15 Cars. And uh, what this does is it's it's really... Kind of, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's it's kind of a slow moving narrative, but don't let that you know dismay you. Yeah, it's that it takes each of these cars that I'll mention here, and I'm not going to mention all 15, mm-hmm. but it's like a biography of the car, and then a a mention of what was going on socially in America at the time and how the car changed it and how it how it uh, was influenced by that. Um, it's kind of this it's this really great um, telling of the American story through each car and and through the time period in which it existed, I guess. And you know what? I have listened to some excerpts of that on audiblepodcast.com. No kidding. Yes. Yeah, because I was I was looking for a neat book to uh, recommend when we do when when we do our spot here. And I gotta tell you, this one converted me. This is one uh, that if I were not already registered with Audible, I would register to hear more of because I think it's a very um, fascinating perspective to have on history. Now, um, which which of the cars have you uh, seen listed there that you really want to hear about? Well, I mean, there's several of them. I mean, the the uh, the sample alone was enough to grab me. It was about the Model T, and mm-hmm. it goes so far as to tell you what the neighborhood is like now in the in the uh, in the region of the factory where the original Model T was built, and then it goes back to what it used to look like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then what was happening at the time. It's it's really a fascinating. Listen, I guess. But the Model T, there's the Volkswagen Beetle, uh, the Corvair, the Mustang, GTO. even goes up to, like, the Honda Accord, the BMW 3 Series, um, of course, the Jeep vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and there's seven more in addition to that that they don't list. But um, I'm really – I'm kind of dying to listen to what they've got, you know, what they have in store for us. I right. Guess. And we have a lot of listeners who are maybe on a road trip right now, commuting to or from, working home, and uh, thinking – Hey man, what am I going to do after I'm out of Car Stuff Podcast or How Stuff Works Podcast? Well, you can check out audiblepodcast.com 
slash car stuff. And if you register on there, then you'll be able to get a free audiobook download of your choice. Anything you want. It doesn't have to be Engines of Change, although Scott and I are hooked on this one. Uh, it could be one of any of their thousands of titles about everything from automobiles to anteaters. Just one more thing about this thing. It's yeah. just, it's a unique look at the American story, I guess, in mm-hmm. that, um, it, it, it not only tells you about the automobile itself and the, and how that all came about, but it's more about like, uh, you know, the, how the, the automobile is like the lure of freedom for a lot of people and, uh, and, you know, about automobile manufacturing, of course, but it was also about like the, the birth of suburbia. And about, um, I think they even mentioned like the emancipation of women and uh, mm-hmm. the energy crisis and pollution and and just all these things, all these surrounding factors that go into into the story of what's happening when these cars are made. So it's a uh, it's a really good story. And I think it might be podcast inspiration for us in the future. What do you think? I definitely think so. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's pick it back up again with uh, with 1960 and where these mm-hmm. cars are because uh, we we talked about the 31 and 36 models. Yeah, but where um, are the Thunderbirds? Where are the Thunderbirds now? I think a lot of people once you see the photos, you'll be happy to know that these Thunderbirds made it because mm-hmm. uh, both the two of them that were built are both still owned by ATI. Uh, so they're right. still in secure hands. They're they're safe. Yeah. One. Um, let's see. Now, I think one of those is at the Antique Auto Museum in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Thunderbirds and uh, one of the 1967 Lincolns as well. Okay. Uh, now this was. Oh no! Wait. You know what? They've moved. They were on loan. Well, they you were know what? Temporarily. Th- this displayed. is a tough thing to track down because mm-hmm. they could be moving as we speak. Uh, you don't know where they are, what part of uh, part of what display they're on right now. So we're gonna we're just doing our best to try to tell you where they are. But at least they're out there and they exist. Mm-hmm. If you can track them down, if you can find them at a local museum at the you know I don't know the Peterson Museum or wherever you're gonna be. Sure. Um, you know the Atlanta Museum here had a, an automobile as art. Yes, um, at show. the High Museum. Yeah, exactly. And these things probably would fit right in there. But mm-hmm. um, all right, let's move up to uh, the 1966 models, the uh, yeah. the Lincoln Continental Convertibles. Now, the three builds, once again, we have good news because all three are still owned by ATI and in good mm-hmm. hands. So um, now after purchasing, purchasing the uh, the third car uh, from Lincoln Mercury, um, you know, so They've, they've got all three now, remember. They, right. they originally ordered two. And they purchased the damaged one. Exactly. Back from Lincoln Mercury. Exactly. So now they have all three. So I just thought that was an important note to make. Now, according to the ATI site, if you look there, mm-hmm. they mentioned that nine of the 11 cars built are still in use. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like they've completely ignored the three cars built in 1931. Which is, which is weird, I think, because surely they have pictures and documentation, but that's something that befuddled me too, because earlier in this podcast I mentioned that 11 number, but we were talking before we recorded, and, uh, we both pointed out that the story does go further. Yeah. The ATI just doesn't have it on their website. Well, well they're, f- okay, just to get this all straight, there are 14 Stainless steel cars that were produced by Ford Motor Company or Lincoln mm-hmm. Motor Company for uh, for the steel corporations and for you know themselves for their own promotional uses. Right. And uh, of those fourteen cars, now I'm going to try to get this straight. Now the three, right. let's see. I guess uh, they mentioned that nine of them are still in use. Um, yeah, it would still be the same. Nine of the fourteen cars, right? Well, we would say possibly ten. Nine of the 14 are known. Their location is, like, they're known to be extant, well, but that third one. Yeah, well, no, and there's also the two missing cars from the 1936 group. Oh, so, gosh, you're right. So there's three of them that are out there. That's the thing. There are three cars that are out there potentially as bar- barn finds for some Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, there, I know there are people that go out there and do this. They go out and look for cars. I wonder if anybody's actively searching for these stainless steel cars because... I mean, again, Ben, these are, mm. these are some that you could really have a good shot at finding. I mean, I mean, yeah. far greater chance than something that's just going to decay and, and end up as a, as a pile of rust in a field. Mm-hmm. These are going to be the full thing. I mean, much more durable. Exactly. And Scott, I think that's where we leave it today with our, with our story of the Allegheny Ludlam Ford stainless steel cars. Now, we also, we got pretty involved in this research and we both came with a couple of things about other steel, uh, stainless steel or bare metal cars, uh, like a lot of hot rods, right? Yeah, exactly. 
but we might have to save that and make that a story for another day. I think, I, I tell you what, I think, um, now Curtis got us started on yes. the uh, stainless steel cars. We started to look into it, and this bare metal car thing came up. I want to do bare metal cars as its own podcast in the, in the, in the near future, mm-hmm. the real near future, because I think these are really interesting as well. So, Curtis, thank you. You have inspired us to do not one but two podcasts on bare metal and stainless steel cars. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoyed the show. We hope even more so that you know where one of these missing three vehicles is at. Um, write to us. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can drop us a line under 140-something characters at Twitter. And I had to talk really quickly. That's like the micro-machine voice for details. Um, but, you know, if people want to skip past that whole social media rigmarole, uh, they can email us directly at carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.